CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the entire world. Who knows that the only thing better than a ground ball pitcher, Jordan, is a groundhog pitcher. Mm, that's wow. There you go. Uh, timely, perhaps. Um, what is the the uh, groundhog uh, situation at the moment? Are we getting extra winter? When does that even happen? I forget. Let me just text my guy, Fuxitani Phil. Um, left his burrow for his annual prediction. Let's see. Uh, Phil's inner circle. Thousands came out. Da, 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 da. It doesn't even say what he did. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Well, uh, I'm glad that it doesn't matter what season it is because we're going to be Oh, talking- no, 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 no. Six more weeks of winter away. Oh, God. That's, man, really, dude? You know what? It doesn't matter. This isn't going to impact our ability to podcast. We will continue on and talk about baseball as we will here on this here episode. It is February. The baseball season is rapidly approaching. And on this episode of Baseball Barbacast, Jake and I are going to talk about prospects. This is something that we really have not done too much, uh, uh, you know, specific discussion on uh usually you know we're maybe talking about one that shows up in a trade or has come up and maybe you know the jeremy painters of the world but like in general we haven't had the opportunity to talk about prospects but early you know february is really when all the prospect lists start to come out and so we wanted to to take some time to to kind of talk about just like the prospect of the prospect the process of evaluating prospects and uh, to really uh, hammer home this this special episode, we actually are going to have one of the best prospects in baseball. Join us a little bit later on. That's Grayson Rodriguez, pitching prospect for the Baltimore Orioles. For your Baltimore Orioles. Yes, you, Jake. So that was a super wonderful conversation. I think you guys will enjoy that. Um, but before we get to, 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 to Grayson, we do want to talk about some other prospects and just where we're at with, with prospect evaluation and, and what we love about it and what we find funny about it and just why it is so important to us as baseball fans. So where would you like to begin? Well, to let's start with the fact that prospect evaluation and prospect lists more vaguely are our origin story, Jordan, as a, a, a friendship, mm-hmm. really more than even as an, you know, baseball content uh, machine or mistake. We became friends because the other person was the only other person we knew who knew about jerks and profar when we were 16 years old and Jerks and Profar was 17 years old, right? And like that was really important to getting us in 
interested in the game. And so it will always have a special place in our hearts. And I would say that as we've gotten older, I have grown to find it very silly, sillier than I did when I was younger. And you, whether or not you have found it sillier, you have been sucked in even deeper into mm-hmm. the world of prospect lists to the point uh, that Jordan has multiple spreadsheets where he tracks all of the prospect lists and the differences between them just for internal use. It's just for him. Yeah, well, but I think uh, I think that that's a good place to start because if you think about what prospect uh, evaluation is now and prospect discourse, especially now that we have Twitter and we have fans who are very passionate about their own team's prospects and know more about them than ever before, the reality is is that multiple outlets put out lists every every spring or every preseason, whatever, right? And it's it's common to see everyone be like, oh my God, this guy, you have him way too high. Oh my God, my favorite prospect is way too low. And that's the stuff I find silly because it's like, they're still on your team. If you love them so much, then like, that's fine. They still get to be on your team. And if you believe in them and they're going to be great for your team, then who gives a shit what Baseball America says about them? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't know why everyone takes that part so personally. People just love rankings. People mm-hmm. like shit in order, mm-hmm. right? People mm-hmm. like a one to a hundred. Why mm-hmm. are we ranking a hundred prospects? It doesn't make any sense. A hundred, <laughs> why a why hundred, right? There aren't only a hundred good prospects. And there aren't necessarily enough prospects to fulfill a list sometimes even. And so I find it very funny because it has no real impact over wins and losses in the long run. But yet we are spending time here on this podcast talking about it. Mm-hmm. And but what I what I do enjoy about it and what I find revealing is that it is a decent facsimile to what happens internally mm-hmm. in MLB organizations. Every mm-hmm. MLB organization has some sort of list that looks something like this, right? Yeah. Where they are ranking every prospect in baseball for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. And this list is like an amalgamation of what all these different organizations believe. And I think that's what's important to remember as a fan, when you scroll through these lists is like, these lists are all different from one another in a a lot of ways. And they are all different from the lists that teams have internally, which are all different from one another internally, right? And like Mm -hmm. all 30 MLB teams disagree probably a lot on certain players. Mm -hmm. And then they agree on certain players. And so no one list is right. Whether that's a team, unless it's like, you know, Tampa's list is probably right. <laughs> Some lists are probably more right than others, as we've seen by the ones and the kinds of players that they acquire and turn into good big leaguers. But for me, what's interesting, and I think what, the way you just laid it out is is a, is a great way to put it, because I love it because one, it's it's so freaking difficult to figure out and to be consistently right about prospects. And two, it's not that I think it's ridiculous when people want to go into their to different prospect sites chats and be like, oh, this is egregious. How could you rank this? Like, I don't know why you care to take it so personally. At the same time, the reason why I track all these things and keep keep these lists and put the list next to each other is because I am interested in the discrepancies. I am interested in the outliers when one player only shows up on one list or when one player shows up in the 30s on two lists and in the 80s on two lists. And those are interesting because that sparks discussion, that sparks debate that is that is healthy for kind of understanding baseball players, right? And that that is a good thing. And th- those players are usually more interesting when they are divisive. Someone's going to be right and someone's going to be wrong, and that's fine. But it, those players are usually the ones that are most interesting to talk about. We don't have to get mad about it, but those are interesting. 
And I think a good example and a good entryway into talking about specific players is Anthony Volpe, who, you know, is 14th in baseball on the Baseball America list and third on Kylie McDaniel's list at ESPN. And that is a really good example because it's clear that Kylie McDaniel at ESPN believes that Anthony Volpe could play shortstop. And Baseball America has a little bit more skepticism about his value and his ability to play shortstop. And that's the difference, probably. I haven't read BA's entire report yet, but that's the difference between a ranking at number three and a ranking at number 14, right? And if you look at Jordan Walker, who Baseball Perspectives has at number two and Kylie has at number 14, there's probably a difference of opinion in one specific aspect of his skill set. And as a fan, if you want to be a very engaged, nerdy fan like we do, Looking at the discrepancy between those two numbers and trying to figure out why that exists is a really good way and a good cheat code to learn about baseball mm-hmm. because it is where experts disagree, mm-hmm. right? And I find that to be a very interesting gray area. Yeah. And another part of prospect evaluation that I think is sometimes drives me crazy, but everybody wants it, right, is comps. All people just want to know, oh, who is this guy like? Yeah. Comparisons, not computers. (laughs) Not computers. Not because there's a lot of other. (laughs) Comp USA. Yes, exactly. Comparison, right? So people want to know, oh, is this guy like Bryce Harper? Is this guy like Corey Seager? Is this guy like, and I understand that. And I think that those can be helpful from the standpoint of just like starting to visualize what type of player that is, what level of production that is, right? At the same time, one of the great things about prospects that I, why I never get tired of it and why I've also gotten into draft stuff is that we are still getting unique versions of players every year. And that is so freaking cool, right? Like the fact that we now, I can look at this top list and see a six foot nine right-hander in Yuri Perez who has, you know, more, you know, fluidity than any teenage pitcher we've basically ever seen. But then I can also look and see, you know, a Kyle Harrison type who is throwing in a in this goofy low slot lefty way that is like formerly would never be considered what you would want to see from a top prospect and yet he is a top you know 30 guy because he's striking so many guys out for reasons that we wouldn't have understood even 10 years ago because of pitcher development there's so many different kinds of players that we're still getting and that's why yeah I I get why we want to be like who's he going to be like like I want to put it in MLB terms these are all different players, and I, I just want to embrace that. Like, Tamar Johnson, like, what the hell is he? Like, I love that I don't know what the hell Tamar Johnson is because we haven't really seen someone with that specific skill set, and that's what makes it more fun and, and more exciting to see how these guys develop. Let's hop into some of the lists, Jordan, and talk about some of the prospects that tickle our giblets a little bit more than some of the others. And, you know, as the resident, uh, resident, resident prospect expert here on Baseball Barbacast, I'm going to let you lead us off. Who is someone on these top 100 lists who, whenever you open a new top 100 lists, you you control F their name? <laughs> yeah, so I think we should start with Jackson Chorio, actually, uh, with the Brewers, because he is one that, for other people that like to open top 100 prospect lists, that if you reround a year ago, I think 95% of people had never heard of. And I don't think you could really say that about basically anybody else in the top 20, maybe even top 30, 40 
of the prospect list that you're looking at today. And by the way, just for 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 clarification's sake and for what we're referencing, um, you know, we're choosing to do this now. There's still some other lists that, come, that are going to come out. Fangraphs, I know Prospects Live still hasn't done their top 100. So, but the five main lists that we're really working off of are MLB Pipeline, Kyler McDaniel at ESPN, Baseball Prospectus, Keith Law, and Baseball America. So I just want to to put that out there. But Jackson Churio, outfield prospect for the Brewers, one of the youngest players on this entire list. Um, he's only about to turn 19 in March, and he already reached Double A last year. Now he was a guy who who signed for decent money uh, out of Venezuela, but normally these are the kind of prospects that take a while. These are the ones that they go to the DSL and they do pretty well, and then they go to you know complex league, and you start hearing whispers about them, like oh wow, like this guy looked really good on the backfields, and these scouts are saying this guy could really be on a top 100 list in a couple years. Like keep an eye on him. Instead, he just skipped all that and just absolutely torched a ball and got to double A and is now presumably going to be starting in double A as a barely 19 year old, basically still almost the age of a high schooler. And I, this is so stunning. And I know we've had some examples of, of players like this who've rocketed through the minors like Julio and like Acuna and like Vlad. But this one has come out of nowhere in a way that is just so stunning that it's leaving some people to be like, is this real? Like, can we really believe that this guy is this good this fast? And others to be like, hold on, like there's some red flags here with how much he's swinging and missing in the zone. But like, I I don't know, man. I I know you're a little skeptical, but listen, we're 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 not ex- we're not, not experts more than the people who are doing this, you know, for a living, just prospects for a living. But I'm fascinated by his profile and his trajectory. I will talk about Cardinals shortstop prospect Mason Wynn, mm-hmm. who you know I have been enamored with for some time. For those of you who are not deep into the prospect world, you recognize that name because he threw a baseball 100 miles an hour across the infield at the Futures game, Uh, and which is even more interesting because Mason Wynn is shorter than both of us. Uh, We know this because we have stood next to Mason Wynn. He is not short, short, like I'm 5'10 and three quarters, and Jordan is 5'11 and one quarter, right? But like Mason Wynn is like 5'9", right? And he has a chance to be one of the more unique players that we've seen. And a guy who I would call a bit of a throwback player where the power is not going to jump out at you or do anything crazy. He's going to put the ball in play and he's going to let his legs do the work. Now, there's obviously some concern about his ability to make enough contact to let his legs work. But this is a guy with top of the line speed, like an 80 grade arm. And just a really interesting type of player that we haven't seen a lot of. Uh, the next guy I wanted to mention is is not one that I would ever expect to be excited about or one that like would jump off the page, but I think might be the sign of something that I am now going to be watching very closely over the next year or so. And that's Jordan Wicks, who only appears on the on Kylie's list um, at 51. And Jordan Wicks was was a first round pick by the Cubs in 2021, a very kind of generic college lefty, great changeup, um, wasn't throwing that hard. And when they picked him 21st, it was like, all right, great, like probable big leaguer. I'm not really that excited about Jordan Wicks, right? Like, okay, why am I getting excited about Jordan Wicks? And then I remembered who the Cubs have now as their general manager 
in Carter Hawkins, who came over from the Cleveland pitching machine. And then I see that Jordan Wicks in his first major league season added three uh, ticks of velocity and struck out 121 guys in 94 innings and was throwing harder than he ever had before more consistently. And all the stuff was playing up and was still going with a good changeup. And it made me think, now listen, I'm not saying that Carter Hawkins just as soon as he got hired by the Cubs went over to Jordan Wicks and whispered him the secret of adding velocity. But when you see how consistently Cleveland has done it and you think about how much of an impact that's made on that organization and so many of their prospects, many of which are on these lists, the Tanner Bybees, the Logan Allens, Gavin Williams. And I mean, you know, Espino was throwing hard since he was like 14. But, you know, there are so many of these guys. And if if Hawkins can bring some level of that magic to a Cubs organization that has been desperate for that kind of impact pitching, and even if he's doing it to a first rounder like Jordan Wicks, that is a scary proposition, right? If, if these and and again, you've seen these player development kind of behemoths happen very fast. We've seen it in Baltimore with the hitters. Of course, we've seen it in, with the Dodgers for a long time. We started to see it with Seattle with the pitchers, the ways that they've developed guys. That's the other key to all of this discussion, right? Is player development, the systems that these teams are in. And that can inform so much about how much you want to believe in certain prospects over others. That's another really interesting part of this. But it's a great point and and why this type of stuff actually is important from an organizational standpoint. Like the Cubs had to trade away all the guys from that 2016 team in part because they couldn't develop themselves a pitcher, mm-hmm. right? That entire stretch there was no homegrown arms mm-hmm. and that was why that roster was flawed and they had to trade guys away. And so if that's something that they're going to be able to do now, it is certainly interesting. I'll do uh, one or two more guys, Jordan. Mm-hmm. This is an obvious one, but Ellie De La Cruz, a uh, 6'5 shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. I love this because we had O'Neill Cruz a couple years ago on prospect list and he debuted this past season in Pittsburgh. And the narrative around Cruz was, We have never seen anything remotely like this ever. And it was true, right? And then he gets to the big leagues. And then we look down at the prospect list and there's another guy. Cruz. Who is named (laughs) Cruz, who is a 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", Dominican shortstop, Mm -hmm. okay, with swing and miss issues and prodigious power who actually has a chance to stay at the position. Mm -hmm. Now, Dilla Cruz is a little bit shorter uh, and doesn't have, I mean, he has the same level of swing and miss maybe, but like Cruz, like O'Neal's at like a different level now in the big leagues, like his swing and miss in the big leagues is the same. Yeah. And yeah, Ellie I mean, might have the same thing, but like we've gotten two now of this very unique unicorn prospect, both named Cruz in like the span of five years. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Um, and he is certainly one that has has captured a lot of people's attention. And, and I would say it is also one of the great things about prospects is that unlike, like once they get to the big leagues, and I know some people still kind of, O'Neill Cruz is a great test of this because he was doing it on a bad Pirates team last year and everyone was paying attention. But prospects, no one cares what org you're in as far as people getting obsessed with prospects. Like, He's on the Reds and people are still like losing their mind over him. Sure, of course, if he was on the Yankees, it'd be tenfold, right? And that's what we have with the Jason Dominguez type, who's another interesting one. I'm fascinated by by Ellie also, partially because the Reds also have like five other, (laughs) like their whole system is is middle infielders, which is is good. And then again, you can never have too much of like, they will hopefully, if they develop and their team gets better, then they'll trade some of them. But like, all those guys with him and McLean, and they just got Noel V. Marte and Edwin Arroyo up the middle. I mean, it, these are good problems to have. I'm, I'm just fascinated to see how those shake out. Not to mention, 
Jose Barrero, who is, I guess, still around and barely recently graduated. So I'm, I'm curious to see how all those guys uh, kind of end up end up shaking out. Um, any other any other quick ones? Then, then I want to I want to drop some top 100 fun facts, and then we can we can do a quick rookie of year chat, and then go to Grayson. Gunnar Henderson coming in at number one on four of these five lists. Mm-hmm. Everyone but Keith Law had him at number one, and Keith Law had Gunnar at number two, and Corman Carroll at number one. Uh, it is the first time on a lot of these lists um, where a single team has a chance <clears throat> to go back to back to back years, three in a row, with three different prospects at number one. Again, doesn't actually matter, but Jackson Holiday, who the Orioles took number one this year, could very well be the number one prospect in baseball at this time next year. And that would mean the Orioles had Adley, Gunner, Jackson Holiday, number one, back to back to back years. Now, granted, that means absolutely fucking nothing if they don't <laughs> win at the big league level, right? Yep. But it is indicative that this organization, you know, like Adley and Jackson Holiday, you get because you suck, right? Mm-hmm. But Gunner, who is at number one on a, a lo- most of these lists, is different. He was the first pick of the second round, which tells you that every team in baseball had a chance to draft this guy. Mm-hmm. And the Orioles' ability to identify and then properly develop a player like that to where he is in the big leagues holding his own before he turns 22, only four years after he gets drafted, right? Mm-hmm. Three years after he gets drafted. Mm-hmm. That shows you that the Orioles' player development system has improved beyond just like the way I think about it, right, is the 2011 Nats were like those teams were losing so much that they got Strasburg and Harper and like it was, you know, and that was it. And then it took them forever to get the rest of the pieces. Like none of those other guys developed. Like the Nats were very good for a long time, but there was no player development going on. Really, No, they ended up kind of, you know, buying it on the on the back end with Scherzer and and obviously, you know, right. So, yeah, look at look at Victor. Look, look at Victor Robles. Right. Like there was the player development apparatus there wasn't working and maybe still isn't working. And that's a longer conversation we could have. But my point is that for the Orioles specifically, and this will translate to what we talk about with uh, Grayson later, Mm -hmm. they have so many bats Mm -hmm. on these lists that weren't necessarily top picks Mm -hmm. that they have turned into top 100 prospect types. Yep. Yep. On top of the nailing Adley and obviously, hopefully Jackson Holiday. Uh, as well, and Grayson, right? Of course, who was a first-round pick. That was it was that was a, a divisive one at the time. Um, so I'll, I'll let that kind of lead into just some other themes that I, I thought were interesting about the top 100 list. So I I, I kind of uh, took note of you know who had the most. So you know when you see on individual lists, oftentimes pipeline will put out oh you know the Orioles had the most and oh the so and so had the most and so I kind of combined all five of these lists and I saw, okay, well, which teams had the most representation across all of these lists? So across these five lists, we're really talking about 150 different prospects that got named. 151, 155 really, but Baseball America counting Yoshida and Senga, and I'm not, those, they're not prospects. They're adults who have played professionally for many years in Japan's league. So I'm not considering their prospects. So really 151 prospects across these five lists. 63 players appeared on all five top 100 lists. So it's really, when you think, oh, who's a top 100 prospect? I would argue there's really 63 of them <laughs> that are clearly, uh, no doubt, everyone agrees is a top 100 prospect. Now, who, well, just teams- to touch on that, can I just touch yeah. on that quickly? Yeah. And the last prospect I was actually going to talk about is Kyle Manzardo, 
Mm, yeah. Who's, who's a, one of them? First base, who's one of them? Who's one of them? Exactly. First base prospect for the Rays. And what I love is that he comes in between 60 and 83 on all five lists. So there is this consensus idea that he is like a starting first baseman in the big leagues. And if you take a look at where he is and the guys he's next to on the lists, they don't show up on every list. But I like that across the industry, it's like, yeah, Kyle Manzardo, first. Kyle Manzardo is exactly this. Yes. No, I, I totally agree. Right. And, and that's where where it's fun. And you could see some of the other ones that have have huge variants in, in, in you know, where they're ranked, um, which is which is fun. But so if you if you combine all, if you consider the 151 prospects that got named, the teams that had the most different players named Orioles, as you mentioned, 11, 11 different players showed up on these uh, top 100 lists. Dodgers also had 11. <laughs> which is again you, you you might be wondering oh well Dodgers oh they didn't do as much free agency well okay because they have Michael Bush they have James Outman who even showed up on on one of these lists they have Miguel Vargas like these are big league ready guys not to mention Bobby Miller and some of the other pitchers at the top of their system Gavin Stone Nick Nostrini like these guys are going to impact the Dodgers soon that's why they're so good uh Cleveland comes in with eight Tampa, St. Louis, and Milwaukee, which was a surprising one for me, at seven. Now, what about the opposite? Jake, the Atlanta Braves, even if you expand it to the 150 prospects, have a fat offer, zero, nil. Now, do they care? Not one bit, because they have Michael Harris, and they have Spencer Strider, who just graduated. And honestly, what it makes me think is, I mean, I don't, I'm not really seeing who that is right now, but someone in that system is way better than we think, you know, and I'm not totally sure who that is. And they do have some exciting young high school pitchers for sure um, that they that they drafted more recently. Guys like Owen Murphy, guys like J.R. Ritchie. But this is the worst system in the league. <laughs> Comfortably. Not close. Not close. By far the worst farm system in baseball. And that's also part of why they're extending all the players in the big leagues because they know they're good and because, well, might, might as well. There's not a lot of help on the way. But it is another fascinating thing to kind of remember. Um, and yet again, they think about it. They're the worst system in the league by far, and they still were able to trade for Sean Murphy. Bizarre. Hilarious. Baseball doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's like, like I, it is, it is so, so, so goofy. So that one's interesting. The other teams uh, that have very few, Kansas City, Toronto, and Houston, only with two. Angels, White Sox, Mariners, Padres, Phillies, and Giants only with uh, three. So those are just some fun facts about the the top 100 lists. Uh, we'll we'll cut it off here. Uh, quick, uh, Jake, Rookie of the Year, ALNL. I think the – now listen, Sanga and Yoshida will be favorites because they are eligible, and that's understandable uh, in both leagues. Um, of course, Gunner and Carroll would be the, the, the obvious ones because we expect them to be. Uh, so beyond the super obvious ones at the top, are there any other ones that you think uh, could be interesting? Uh, Edward Julian. With uh, Ooh, Minnesota nice. Twins. That's a good one. I think he is, uh, I, again, I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> at all. But he is someone who I think is underranked on mm -hmm. all these lists. I think he's a big league ready hitter who's going to hit for a high average and just like be in the mix, yeah. I think. I know the Twins infield is a little crowded, but I just think that guy can really hit. Uh, other rookie of the year types, guys who are going to be up the whole year, scrolling down the list. I think, I don't think Volpe will be up enough. Yeah. Uh, to do that and even um, e even if even if he was i am not convinced he's gonna have the offensive impact right away unless he's like the story right that's the other thing if he just is the yankee shortstop for 140 games and is like 
at all good and the Yankees win the division and win a bunch of games. Yeah. I could see that being a thing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of hard to say. I guess you could say the same thing about Beatty and Alvarez, but I'm not really seeing the, the at bats for them. Um, a couple other guys who, uh, will be playing a lot this year. Uh, Bo Naylor, Josh Naylor's little brother, who's a catcher with the guardians. He might not be the starter, uh, just to begin the year, but Mike Zudino is a, uh, a nice a nice baseball player and definitely good, but certainly injury prone. And I would imagine Bo Naylor gets a decent amount of time there during the season. Logan O'Hoppy with the Angels, another yep. catcher is another good pick. If you want to keep on eye on a guy for rookie of the year, Josh Young in Texas should be their uh, yes, opening day. That, that one, baseman. I think playing time wise, I think is a, is a really, really, really good pick. Um, definitely Ohapi as well. And Cassis, I think, is the other one to mention who we would expect to be up for for most of the season with Boston and and could just hit 30 homers and, and kind of make it kind of obvious. So that's a good one. And then pitchers are really hard to predict, right? Like, I mean, Cade Cavalli is someone who should be in the rotation the whole year for the Nationals. I mean, I'm not expecting a lot of wins, but I do like Cade Cavalli a lot, and he just might end up with, you know, a ton of strikeouts. Um, so that would be another and, one. And the one thing that people have mentioned, and this will transition well to our interview, is that the Orioles do have a chance to accomplish something this year that had not been accomplished for some time until the Braves just did it, which is to have a pitcher-hitter combo 1-2 in the rookie of the year voting with Gunnar Henderson as the hitter and Grayson Rodriguez as the pitcher. And if that's something that interests you, well, do I have good news for you because we will be right back after this break with a sit-down chat with the number one, two, or three prospect... Pitching prospect in baseball, Grayson Rodriguez. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. We are very excited to be joined by a very special guest, Mr. Grayson Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles. Grayson, thank you for joining us, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Thank you all for having me on here. So let's just start with your offseason. Uh, you and Jordan have had a very similar offseason uh, in one way, and that is that you both got engaged. So congratulations to you both. <laughs> is there anything I need to know as a non-engaged guy? I don't know. Um <laughs> You, know, you go first, Grayson, because my, mine actually happened back in August. So I, I, I barely even remember how the hell that yeah, all so, went down. So you tell yeah, us. So it seems mine, like a little more recently. Congratulations. So my thank you. Mine was on New Year's Eve. I um, mean, you know, I guess that's a, a, a time that a lot of them happen. And uh, let's see. Went out to dinner. You know, she didn't have any idea. Her mom and her sister came to our house, set it all up. And... My fiance now, she loves the ring cameras. We got ring cameras on the outside of the house. So she's always checking the ring cameras. Like it sets an alert on her phone. Like, I mean, every time you let the dog outside to go to the bathroom or something, they're going off. So we had to figure out a plan on how to get her mom and her sister and her friend to the house without her knowing. So I had to climb up in the attic and unplug like the Wi-Fi system or whatever, just so the 
the cameras wouldn't go off. And uh, so she wouldn't know who was home, you know, and, and the whole, like when we were at dinner, she even said, she's like, the cameras aren't working. I don't know what's going on. Like, just like it's, she's some, you know, security agent. So uh, anyways, got all that under control and then, uh, you know, asked her the question when we got back. Love to hear it. I, I mean, we, we have a lot of baseball questions that we definitely will get to, but this is an amazing story for, for several reasons. Of course, the biggest thing is she, she had no idea, but it does seem like you had to do some complicated, almost like heist level, you know, blocking of your own security cameras. That is fascinating. A, a, a challenge that I think most people are not usually having to deal with. So, but you, you did it. You pulled it off though. She was surprised and it yeah. was great. She actually thought she was getting a new car, but. Nope. <laughs> so she's disappointed. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure. She's like, yeah, a little disappointed. Dang, I wanted the new car. Um, so for those of you unfamiliar with Grayson, you could probably tell by now that he is not from the north. Uh, in fact, Grayson is from a state, a country, uh, some believe, called Texas, and he is from a town in Texas called, and again, I'm going to do my best here, Nacogdoches. <laughs> Nacogdoches, Texas, the home of Stephen F. Austin University. So before we ask you about baseball, you seem incredibly proud to be from Texas. What does it mean to you to be Texan? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, It's kind of, you know, like being from Baltimore, you know, people are proud of that. Um, Just being proud where you're from, Uh, born and raised here. So I grew up, uh, I guess, uh, a country boy, I guess you could say, not a redneck. That's a little bit different, more severe. Not my, uh, not my style. So there's like but, a spectrum, right? Yeah. There's like Jake and Jordan have never been hunting. We're like city people. Then there's like you, which is country boy, and then there's redneck, which is like out in the boonies. And then you go to hillbilly, and mm. you know there's difference. There's there's a lot of differences. <laughs> You're you country know? boy. So full so, stop. so so in the south, kind of where I'm at. You know, there's there's country boys who are a little bit more civilized. Then like, you have your uncivilized rednecks. And then when you get into the Carolinas, you have your hillbillies. Okay. A little bit in Arkansas, you know, wherever there's okay. mountains, mountainous what's, region. What's interesting, like for us, right? Like if I meet someone, they don't know where I'm from. Like I could be from, you know, anywhere in America. For you, you hear Grayson's voice and you're like, that guy is from fucking Texas. Right. <laughs> Right away. You can't hide it. It's a part of you. And I love that you carry it to the point that there are literally deer on the wall behind you. And we will get to uh, your hunting escapades in a second. But we want to turn the clock back to your Nacogdoches high school days. And we'll start with this. You're dominating the local league in high school on the mound. At what point did it go from I'm really good for Nacogdoches to I'm going to be drafted to I'm going to be drafted in the first round? So Nacogdoches has a high school and it's bigger. Like it's, it's not necessarily a small town. Obviously we have a division one university here, but um, I grew up transferring to a school just North of Nacogdoches called Central Heights. So that's where I started going. I believe in the fourth grade, you know, like all my little baseball buddies were there. So went to high school there. Um, and it was a little bit smaller of a school than Nacogdoches, but I guess, I guess my parents did a good job of always having me on a good team. You know, that their whole saying growing up was like, I'm never going to be the best on the team. If I'm the best on the team, we need to find another team. So 
gives you something to work for. Well, growing up, just kind of being fortunate, you know, always playing on good ball teams. In high school, you know, we we won a lot of games, beat the heck out of a lot of schools. Um, But really just kind of, you know, never thought I was that good until draft day when I heard my name called. Um, You know, before the draft, um, I was going to Texas A&M. Like, that's what I was set on. Uh, That was pretty much my decision. Um, and then I was drafted in the first round by the Orioles and, you know, that just kind of throws all that out the window, but, uh, you know, very fortunate that that have that had happened. And then really just kind of the first time I thought about, you know, that, that I belong here was when I got to Sarasota, uh, in the rookie league the first year. Yeah. And this stuff came out good. I want to ask you about Jordan's going to ask you about draft day in a second, but I'm on the central Heights high school Wikipedia page right now, Jordan. Um, first of all, go Blue Devils. But the thing I notice about this Wikipedia page, Grayson, is there is no notable alumni section. And uh, we got to we got to make sure you start that off. I, I mean, this just doesn't exist on here. So Central Heights has not had anybody in the big leagues yet. They've had um, Trey Haley, I think, was in an early 2000s draft pick. He made it to AAA with the Indians, now the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a guy named Dane Phillips, who is a catcher, I believe he made it to double A or triple A. Yeah. Um, and then Alex Phillips, another pitcher, double A, triple A. Um, and then a guy that I work out with right now in the offseason, his name's Duke Gallus. He's playing for, I believe, Birmingham, the double A team for the White Sox, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are all you the know, pro ball guys. That you know, heights. it's going to be great when one day it just says notable alumni. Grayson Rodriguez, and that's it. Like that's going to be the notable <laughs> alumni page. Hopefully, we get a few more. So yeah, I got a brother. Sounds- I got a brother. I got a brother that's a freshman in high school now. So, he's, and he's bigger than I am. Whoa, <laughs> he's bigger so, than you are. So, so I'm I'm six five, and my brother, who's fourteen years old, is six seven. Okay, Basketball I'm sorry. Player. We need to talk about him for for thirty seconds here. What, what, how quick did he, I don't know when you had your growth spurt because you're also, you know, we, we've met you. You're even for a big league, you know, hopeful pitcher. You're a pretty big guy. When did his, when did that happen? Is he, is he pitching? Is he throwing? Is he hitting 500 foot home runs? Like what's, what's the deal here? What is his name? We have to know this guy. Yeah. So his name is Garner. Um, he's a better baseball player than a basketball player, which is kind of hard to believe. So like, you know, he's a freshman. Not too many freshmen can dunk pretty easily like he can, uh, especially six, in high school. He's six, seven. Yeah. He doesn't reach um, his arm up. He's right up at the rim. Okay. It's easy. Okay. Yeah. So yep. he's yep. is he a pitcher? Yeah. So he pitches and then plays corner infield, third and first base. Um, like you. I played you, positions. You did that too, right? You played yeah, third. Yeah, yeah. I played, yeah, I played positions uh, growing up. My dad was an outfielder that played uh, college baseball in a West Texas school, uh, Sol Ross State. So we were always in the batting cage more than we were on the, the pitcher's mound. So that, you know, obviously we see how that ended up with me. But uh, <laughs> anyways, he uh, he actually – he went to Cary, North Carolina this last mm-hmm. summer, uh, yeah. the USA Baseball type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, started getting a little involved with that. Um, you know, did actually really well at the, the showcases they had. So hopefully there's some good things in store for him. So, so he's for 14 scouts listening – for all you scouts listening, if, if yeah. you're interested in Grayson Rodriguez, well, just just wait because there's a taller. This, <laughs> so we're talking we're talking 2026 draft. 
it sounds like. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, but we'll, again, long way to go. And I imagine at that age too, all the coordination isn't totally there yet, right? He's kind of figuring out how to be that big, I imagine, is is, is the challenge right yeah, now. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, he's figuring it out. Um, he's actually coming to his body, you know, a lot better over the last year. Uh, you know, when he was in middle school, he's like a little baby giraffe. But right. uh, but now starting to be kind of coordinated, can dribble the basketball a little bit. So uh, really excited to see, you know, how he does this high school season. Obviously, I'm not going to be there to watch his games. So, uh you know, have to videos we'll have to do. So, well, I think there will be video of the six, seven freshman uh, pitcher in Texas. I think that people will be noticing that very soon. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's get back to your, your draft day because something that is, is, you know, now we, we see you and you're, you know, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. We know what you've done in the minor leagues, hopefully the big league soon. But the fact is, in baseball history tells us that high school right-handed pitchers are a very risky demographic. It is a very, it is a, it is a group of pitchers that it would know one has never gone number one overall, and that is because for a lot of reasons, just pitching is hard, pitching development is hard, injuries are hard, and getting those to the big leagues are, is hard. Right now, you have been immediately one of the the more successful versions of that story. Was that something you knew when you were being scouted, and, and once you entered pro ball of of how kind of tough that demographic challenge is as you enter the professional ranks or you're just kind of going about your business as, as much as you could? Yeah. So in high school, um, when I was, a, when I was a sophomore, let's, let's go back there. When I was a sophomore, I was up to 95, I think in some, some perfect game type stuff. Uh, when I was a junior, uh, the, the first scrimmage of the high school season, I hit a home run on, the inside part of the plate, it jammed the heck out of me. We had a kind of a short porch in right field uh, at our high school, and I broke my hamate bone. So I didn't know at the time what had happened. Uh, obviously, it hurt like heck, and our high school trainer was just – they thought it was like wrist tendonitis. So my whole junior year, I played with a broken hamate bone, and it hurt the pitch, it hurt the hit, it hurt to do everything. And I was throwing like – 90 to 92 with a broken hand. So then I guess all the a scouts, broken throwing hand, a broken throwing yeah, hand. You were so, throwing yeah, with broken a broken hand, hand. 92. So <laughs> I had a, you know how like the position players tape their wrists, you know, during the games, like with the the tape. Yeah. So we had to get like a tan colored tape that I could tape my wrist just so I could pitch. And so I did that the whole season. Well, you know, I regressed from 95 down to 90. So then a, the, your junior year is a big scouting year, right, coming into your senior year. So I guess a lot of the scouts kind of wrote me off. Like I kind of took a step back, you know, whatever, like going to school. Well, then at the end of my junior season, I figured out that I had a broken hand. So I had the surgery going into the fall and then came back for my senior year up to 98 in high school. So, like, it just kind of came all back together. And then uh, started getting a lot of pro scouts show up to my games. Um, and so I guess that's kind of why, you know, it all happened very last minute uh, for me in the draft. Uh, but literally, I mean, until I, when was the draft? It was like they used to have it, what, June 6th? Yeah, or, June 5th. I don't know, somewhere, somewhere in there. Uh, I mean, literally thought I was going to school, Texas A&M, you know, my advisor at the time, which is still my agent, uh, 
had said, you know, he's like, well, you, you might go in the third round, the fourth round. We don't know, you know. Day of? So, you're still thinking third, fourth, fourth round, well, like day of or, or right before? Or no. Days? Well, up all the way up until about a week before the draft, you yeah. know, started kind of getting, I guess, a feel for it. But on draft day, it was we were just kind of looking at the end of the first round, maybe early second round. Uh, and then – we were sitting there. We saw it on TV that it popped up, I guess, 11th overall. I think that's what it was. I don't know. Yeah. Something. But, yeah, saw it pop up on TV and everything. So, and so you wow. could go on to have Goodness. a long, phenomenal career in the big leagues. And chances are you will remain the second most famous Texan taken in the 2018 MLB draft. And that is because one Kyler Murray was taking two picks ahead of you that year. So like you were committed to Texas A&M. I know Kyler spent some time at Texas A&M. Like when you were watching that and like now when you watch the Arizona Cardinals on TV, is there anything that's like very odd to you that this quarterback was just like taking two picks ahead of you? Yeah, it's really weird to think about. Uh, Sometimes it's brought up, you know, when we're working out with, uh, you know, other pro ball players in the offseason. But yeah, it's kind of kind of funny to think about the like that, you know, there was the number ninth pick, I guess, is what it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, just quarterback, two way player. You know, I'm not going to play baseball. I'm going to go play football. So that's kind of cool. I guess it's actually pretty cool, you know, that it happened. Uh, that that's kind of the the weird little fun fact about that draft. It's yeah. it's one of the crazier things that we continually remind myself. Right, I'm just looking up. Um, reading about your draft, and I'm like, oh, Kyler Murray is just there, ninth, sure. Nor- like a thing that happened, and we just all kind of moved on from it as if it wasn't one of the more bizarre picks we've seen um, in, in baseball. It's crazy, but but that's good. You're, you, you don't take it too personally. You're not like, guys aren't telling you, like, how good could this guy be? He was picked after Kyler Murray. I mean, come on. <laughs> he's, 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 he can't be that good. There's no way. Uh, but yeah, the only, the only difference is I don't think I could read the defense, so... <laughs> Okay. That might be kind yeah. of tough. Yeah. It might be kind yeah, of I've tough heard, on my part. I've heard that's a key part of playing football. Um, so the, the O's take you in the summer of 2018. And I, I think you, more than any other player in the Orioles organization, you have been around for the entire change and development of that team. You were taken during the last year of the Duquette era. And now we are in year four, year five, almost of the, of the Mike Elias era. And I'm curious for you, how has the organization changed over time as you've been there, whether it's player development, whether it's scouting, what are some of the things that you've seen that have, you know, stayed the same maybe, and some things that have gotten different year to year as you've gotten older. So I'm going to start it off like this. I think Everything about the organization changed, but the name like that was that. I mean, it was insane. Right. So I show up, I show up as just a high school kid. Right. And there's no track, man. There's no edutronic cameras. There's no technology like computers. Like, I mean, there's obviously computers, you know, in the coaches rooms, everything, you know, like they have to take their notes, you know, whatever. But in terms of like from a player standpoint, we really didn't use computers, technology, videos, much of that in the minor leagues. Now, big leagues, obviously a lot different. I can't speak for that because I wasn't there. But just the way that 
our pitching philosophy was it was like, hey, you know, as a starter, we're going to go out in the first three innings and we're just going to throw nothing but fastballs and we're going to see if that works. <laughs> and like terrible, terrible idea. Right. And so I think it's, it's funny to look at the things like back yeah. then, like what they were telling us. And then, of course, uh, Michael Ice comes in that offseason, I think right after the season ended, like it was November mm-hmm. maybe yep. when he was hired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he came in. Uh, and then I had not been to spring training yet. So I, I had, you know, I don't know how spring training was uh, with the old front office. But show up and you're like, hey, like, what is that little blue box behind the, the bullpen mound? There's the, there's the cameras. Uh, you know, we start getting the track man portable units. Uh, there's computers everywhere. Like you're seeing all this stuff, uh, getting a lot of feedback. And then it's hard to just turn around an entire minor league coaching staff. So you kind of saw the coaches like leave, like, Hey, where's he's get, where's he going? Oh, he's fired. You know? And it's like, uh Oh, so then all that kind of stuff ha- started happening. Uh, and then I would say the first, the first time I really got to experience the change was in 2019 uh, during the first full season when I learned how to throw a changeup. So we brought in uh, one of our pitching coaches who's just a special human. His name is Justin Ramsey. Uh, he was our pitching coach in AAA last year. Um, he's a you know he's a really good at I guess dissecting pitching. You know, the way the ball's spinning on the, the slow motion cameras, track man data, stuff like that. So we completely just developed a change up in like a month. And it turned out to be like my best pitch. And so that was a that was a big thing. Um, I know when I went to the Futures game in 2019, people were saying, calling it like a screwball, in which I was turning – I pronate it so hard when I throw it, um, changeups really don't spin all that much. I'm trying to spin mine like an off-speed pitch to make it move. So we came up with that. Um, and then really just kind of seeing the organization take course uh, seasons after that, you know, with all the, the stuff that we brought in. So I have follow-up on the, on the changeup in particular because you just mentioned it yourself. And if you're a prospect person and you know about Grayson, it's, it, that's it, right? It's the changeup. But the fact that that is a pitch that you just had never really thrown in high school, at least not to that level of effectiveness. And for that to immediately become one of the best pitches in all the minor leagues shows you how effective and important pitching development is, right? And, and, and I imagine you, you lived it. You lived it and you experienced it. I'm sure you saw that happening across the whole organization. It wasn't just you. I'm sure you were seeing your teammates experiencing similar uh, levels of development. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. You know, um, it's not just me that benefited, you know, from all this. Obviously, you know, we've got – I don't know how many pitchers are in a minor league organization. I mean, it's got to be close to 100 at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of seeing the course, just on the pitching side, that has nothing to do with the hitting side. You know, obviously we've got some hitters that can, can swing it a little bit. But, uh, you know, pitching, like, basically you throw all these pitchers into this – system and this system tells them what each pitcher does the best and then that information is relayed to the pitcher well then that pitcher goes out and uses that to his knowledge of like hey you know i thought my slider was the best but actually you know my changeup's the best or i throw a two-seam fastball but um like naturally my ball cuts and that's better 
So, like, you go out, you use that. Well, then you start having all these pitchers just coming out of the woodworks, like good numbers, good numbers, good numbers. And then next thing you know, you've got 40 dudes that are, like, just shoving every time they go out, you know, and then it completely just did a 180 from the pitching perspective. I'm super interested on the the changes in the coaching that you talked about because something that I've noticed is baseball right now as a whole is in a really interesting, bizarre place with coaching where I think you have some coaches who are coaches for themselves. They do it because they played and they think that's what they have to do next and they want to stay in the game. And then you have coaches who are coaches to make the players better. And I'm curious if this is something that you noticed that the Orioles kind of flipped this over time. In my mind, like, I just know, like Ryan Fuller, the the assistant big league coach, right? Like, he's there for the players, right? Not for himself. And I'm curious if that was a big part of the development kind of turning around. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's a good point. So we had a lot of ex-players that were coaches um, for the old regime. They kind of got let go. And then new coaches are brought in with less of a playing background, but um, head and heels better, you know, coaching, I guess, attribute. Like, these like guys the know how to play baseballs. And that that was the difference, I guess. You know, it's obviously yeah. it's great to have ex-players because as a player, you won't ask a coach, you know, how to handle something what he or you know he knows what it's like to be in your shoes but there's that balance between having a guy that knows what he's coaching about and can relay that information much better to making everybody a better player yeah so we are now uh Grayson Rodriguez on the cusp of the big leagues you've done all you need to do in the minor leagues and you know chances are if you don't have that injury last year you probably do get up in 2022 but I'm curious for you what was your experience of of watching the 2022 Orioles, who were one of the most surprising, exciting baseball teams that we've had in some time, just from a you know expectation versus reality standpoint, they outperformed their expected win total by what, like 40 games, you know? And so for you, where you weren't in that clubhouse every day, but you're still intimately connected with a lot of the people who are up, what was that experience like for you of, of like following that season? Yeah, it was a very cool experience. So finally being able to watch like a big league game and, you know, your friends are playing, like your friends are on TV. Like this is a guy that you text every day and then at night you get on and play video games with, like whether it's Call of Duty, like PGA, like golf or like whatever. Like these are your boys that are, that you know, that are up there playing. They're on the big screen. And that's really cool to watch because – you know, it gives you the feeling that you're really close um, to, you know, dreams becoming reality. Um, and then to see them basically outperforming what people thought they would, you know, that's that's a lot of fun. That's special. Um, getting to see Adley, you know, just go up into the big leagues and just like start just raking, you know, from day one. Gunner, you know, Gunner's like, Gunner's a kid. Like people don't understand this, like, we, we always joke around, but like Gunner's like a man child and to see him go up into the big leagues and then just transition like perfectly, you know, like, and that goes for, you know, Kyle Stowers, Taryn Vavra, like some of these other guys that the Orioles called up, you know, like just playing with them. Like I faced Taryn 
2019, my first year of Pro Bowl, when he was with the Rockies, um, he had my number. Like, he had, like, two doubles and a triple or something crazy off me when we were playing in Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina. And then we traded for him and everything, and I was cool to see him come over with us. But, you know, just kind of seeing these guys, you know, that you know in the big leagues and then them have success, like, it's it's a lot of fun. And what seems great about it, too, is, like, when you're on the cusp of the big leagues and you're close to, like, reaching the thing that you've always wanted to to do your whole life, like, that's cool no matter what team you're on. But when you're a part of an organization and a part of a team where it's, like, green arrow trending up, and I'm sure you know guys in other organizations that are on the cusp of the big leagues where it's not necessarily that same type of optimism, right? And so it's like there is the opportunity to be part of something kind of special here. Jordan, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to add like it's 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 different when you're in Delmarva and you're watching the big league team. You don't know any of those guys, right? And so it doesn't feel as real as when you're in AA and AAA and the guy that you were playing with yesterday gets called up to play in Baltimore tomorrow. I know that people know how good Adley is and now how good Gunner is, right? I mean, these are top prospects in baseball. And for the most part, they know how good you are, right? Like you guys have have ascended to the tops of the prospect list and people know who you are. But I think what's so exciting about the Orioles' future is how many guys are there, especially in the upper minors. So you know these guys firsthand because they are your friends. So who are some of the other guys, whether pitching or hitters, they can't be on prospect list, but beyond Adley and Gunner, we all know how special they are, that you're excited to see with you in Baltimore in the next couple of years or just other prospect names that yeah. you are most excited to see. And, and people don't really know how good they are. So I guess I don't want to be doing anybody a disservice by only calling out a few names because there's sure. a bunch. Of course. But like the first, the first couple names that come to my mind, are Connor Norby, the second baseman that we drafted only like what a year or two ago, mm-hmm. um, and he made it up to AAA this year for the end of the season. Uh, we were playing in Durham, I think. He played there that week, and then three yep. games at home. And dude hit like three or four homers, like just with no problem. You know, just just you know your second baseman just going out there and just hitting jacks. Like he hit, I think, thirty something this year in the minor leagues, which is just insane. It's insane for any minor league player, but a second baseman doing that, like really. So that was pretty cool to watch that, um, get to see, kind of experience that. Um, Jordan Westberg, who's a good buddy of mine, Mississippi State. uh, He's also from Texas. Uh, You know, he's kind of like a – just a silent killer, right? Like goes about his business, you know, doesn't say much. Uh, just goes out every night, performs. Uh, and then another one's Joey Ortiz, another shortstop, which that dude is going to win a few gold gloves in his big league career. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch him field the ball. Um, you know, really like, you know, that I just named off two shortstops and a second baseman. And then, of course, you know, you got Gunner in the big leagues, another shortstop, whatever you're going to call him. But, I mean, Bro, man, Ortiz's it's like. This is year for, wait, for the people listening who've never heard the name Joey Ortiz. Just go to his baseball reference page and look at the numbers that he put up this season. They're absolutely absurd, especially down the second half. Once he kind of figured out a couple things, this is a guy not a lot of people know who I think has a chance to be super duper special. Um, I One thing I want to ask you, Grayson, is, is, you know, with your last name being Rodriguez, there is a tendency to just find a Rodriguez and throw the nickname, oh, first letter, your first name, Rod, right? We've had A-Rod, now where's Julio Rodriguez is J-Rod. We've had K-Rod. 
how do you feel about the simplicity of G-Rod? Do you prefer Grod? Or are we looking for an alternate nickname for you right now? No, G-Rod does it. That's fine. Uh, okay. That's been my nickname my whole life. So I know like Baltimore fans kind of throw around Gray Rod, but I'm not, nobody's ever called me that even in the clubhouse. So just kind of simplify it down to G-Rod. You know, it's kind of it's kind of mainstream, but it's just that easy, I guess. So I guess thank you, A-Rod, or whoever, you know, was the first one to be called that. So Shouts out to the OG-Rod. Yeah, yeah, whoever. Well, you do have to be some level of good to for everyone to start calling you that. Like that's, but but to your point, it sounds like you've you've been G Rod since you were you were before you were throwing ninety five. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, G Rod. I guess since I was on the T ball field, I don't know. Good Although or not. This is, so. this is bad news for your brother. It sounds like we are going to have to come up with something new for him. Um, yeah, that he's the one that is really going to have to to come up with something else. So, we, but we got some time. We got some time for him before he's you know getting nicknames thrown around for him by by prospect people and and whatnot. So we'll we can we can table that uh, that discussion. Um, my last question for you, Grayson, involves the the uh, things we see behind you. <laughs> um, at your at your if you're you know if you're listening on uh, on a, on the podcast. Uh, how about you describe uh, for the listeners and maybe we'll, we'll put some video out, but why don't you describe for the listeners what we're seeing behind you? And then I have a couple of questions uh, related. Yeah. So, you know, my favorite thing to do in the off seasons hunt, uh, that's white tailed deer specifically, mm-hmm. um, grew up, uh, my uncle, uh, that Tommy had to hunt, he's a wildlife biologist. So, you know, he, he deals with, you know, animals on a daily basis, uh, the science behind all of it. Um, Really, I guess people sometimes put a label on deer hunting as like a lot of killing. Um, you know, kind of what we do or what I like to do is like deer management. So think about a herd of deer, right? And you get all the analytic num the numbers, you know, the herd samples, all this stuff, right? And then basically like you kind of create the perfect system of like making sure it's not overpopulated, underpopulated. You know, you plant agriculture products so the deer can thrive uh, and, you know, grow um, and kind of in return, you know, you get to harvest the old bucks. You let the young ones walk um, and, you know, you let them have fawns and you try to create a healthy, healthy herd um, for, you know, future generations down the road to hunt, uh, to you know, eat the eat the food that they provide, but also get to have fun doing it. A true, a true Oriole. He's got deer analytics. I mean, this is incredible that they <laughs> have really got you. They've, they're give, they're probably giving you the, some coding systems so you can make oh. sure you're, you've got the most efficient. It's great. I love it. It makes, it makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> it's, let me tell you, some organizations are not going this deep, but Grayson Rodriguez, I am, I am not surprised. Um, but the thing I'm, I'm curious now, cause we, we knew this. And when we talked to the futures game, we talked to you about, you know, your, your hunting, I mean, it seems more than a hobby. That seems like kind of not even calling it how, how much, you know, time and, and energy you spend on it. But what I'm curious is that, you know, hopefully you'll be, you know, be in Baltimore more often. And have you have started to scout out uh, any possible hunting opportunities uh, closer to the to the eastern seaboard? Because I'm, I'm sure it's a little bit of a different scene than it is down in Nacogdoches. But I have a feeling that you have a pretty good sense for what that that scene is. Yeah, so it's it's a much different place than Nacogdoches. Actually, two weeks ago, 
I believe. Uh, me and DL Hall, another another pitcher buddy. We know mine. he likes so the hunting probably, fish. Oh, probably yeah. <laughs> probably one of my best friends, right? Big duck hunter. Yep. So we actually got to go hunt the Chesapeake Bay. It was my first time. You know, a lot of lot of waterfowl there, right? All the crabs, you know, that are probably swimming under the water and stuff. But we're looking for the birds, you know, in the air and getting to go hunt the Chesapeake Bay. I mean, that was kind of. That was a lot of different. That that was a lot different than than what I'm used to. So it was a lot of fun, you know, kind of seeing how, you know, folks from the Eastern Shore of Maryland do things. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, you know, there's definitely uh, a lot of spots around Baltimore that you know you could you could hunt some deer, shoot some ducks. You got to bring your boots, right? What do they call it? Like water? What are the water boots for duck hunting? What are those? What are those called? Waders. 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 Right? Waders. Yeah. Yeah. They come up to your chest. Like, you know, you can walk out literally and as deep as you want as long as your chest's above water. You're not letting them letting the water in. So So I would say the the day we met you, Grayson, at the uh at the futures game back in twenty eighteen or nineteen nineteen, twenty nineteen. Nineteen, mm-hmm. yeah. It was also one of the funnier interview moments of our career when we were interviewing DL Hall and we were like, if we need like if we've never gone duck hunting. If we're in the woods duck hunting, what's the one thing we need to know? And DL Hall goes, well, your first problem is that you're in the woods hunting ducks. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, right, 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 right. Now uh, that yeah, said, right. that said, this might be a better question for DL since you mentioned he's more of, more of a duck hunter. But my final question for you, in waders, how hard could you throw? Like how much velo is that taking <laughs> and how heavy are they? I have no idea. Like, is it, is it like it, overalls or is it heavier than that? Like what? So, oh yeah, they're, they're a lot heavier. So like it, first off, it depends, I guess, what kind of waders you'd be in. There's some lighter waders. There's some heavier waders. Your heavier waders are insulated to keep you, you know, warm from the cold. And then your lighter waders typically don't have any insulation at all for warm weather. But I bet. I bet we could throw 90 in a pair of waders. Maybe, maybe that's, that might be a stretch. What's the problem? But, is it like you can't get down the mound as easily? Like the landing, the yeah, planted you, foot? You, you don't boots, have a right? lot of, mo- you don't have a lot of mobility in your legs. Like, okay. I don't yeah, know. It's almost like, like, you know, like, you know, you know what a hazmat suit looks like. It's almost like that. Like that's, that's borderline what, what the waders look like. Except without like the the helmet and mm-hmm. and the the jacket, you know. Mm-hmm. But the it, it's basically like a very large pair of overalls with boots connected to them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would definitely sap the velo. I would imagine, but we might have to challenge DL. He probably has a better answer for that question as he's probably thought about it uh, before. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, this was an absolute delight. We are so excited to watch you. Um, hopefully, in the big leagues. Soon here uh, in 2023, uh, I know Jake, especially as an Orioles fan, this is a very cool, cool time to uh, to be an Orioles fan, and, and I know I'm sure you're excited. So, uh, yeah, any 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 final thoughts going into 2023? I imagine you're heading out of spring training soon. Yeah, so actually, we have a Birdland Caravan this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, buy your tickets for that if you still can. I know they're going pretty quick, mm-hmm. uh, but I know me, Adley, Gunner, DL, uh, Taryn. You know, and a lot of the other big league guys uh, will be there um, signing autographs, taking pictures with kids. You know, that's one of my favorite things to do is 
love to hang out with the kids, talk some trash to them. Cause there's a lot, you know, kids that think they're better than you. Uh, but I love that. I love it. I love it. I love talking the kids up, you know? Um, so we'll have some fun there. And then, you know, right after that ends, start packing the bags to head to spring training. So amazing. Getting ready for day number one. Listen, Grayson, I coach a uh, little league here in New York city for fun on the side. So you know, if you're ever if you're ever in town and you want to throw live to a couple kids or you know do some trash talking, <laughs> I got some guys. Yeah, for do it. some humbling. Do some humbling for these I'll, kids. Well, I'll do some trash talking, but I don't want to give up any homers, so I might not get on the mound with the little so, leaders. But a quick tale for you. So, uh, you know, I I played in college, and the way I got involved with the league was someone found out I played in school, and they wanted someone to come and like throw harder to the kids who were going to go playing in like the twelve U tournament. And so they brought me in to pitch to all the kids and I must have hit like seven or eight kids on that first day throwing, you know, like I was probably throwing like 75, 76, but like if you're 12 from 46 feet away and you're taking 76 in the back, like that's a tough day out. I was so embarrassed, man. Like I, I, I could only imagine Grayson Rodriguez 96 to the, the ribs of a 12 year old. That is not what we want to see. No, that I, no. I trust Grayson's good. command a lot more than Jake's. Thanks. For, for, you know, yeah. actually, like now that you bring that up, like I don't, I might have hit like two guys last year, and if I do hit somebody, it's like never with a fastball. So, I guess like the fastball commands better, but usually it's always like a slider that like backs up or like a really bad changeup or or something that's just really slow. And it just kind of like kisses the batter's arm or something like just totally not even worth it. So this is this is a great place to end because you sometimes when you're talking to players and you say you hear they're recounting their stats and they end up they end up embellishing and you're like, oh, you're you actually only hit one guy last year. So that's the kind of guy that Grayson Rodriguez is not even two. He only hit one in 2022. And so that is not going to be an issue, whether he's facing little leaguers or whether he's facing big leaguers, Grayson's keeping the ball in the zone because he doesn't need to hit. He, he, he can throw it right past you. That's all. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, sending a message. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, when, when, when fights start getting chippy and, you know, it's all about, oh, hitting the hitter. Like, I would rather strike him out than let him have first base. You know, it's just kind of – that's it's kind of a baseball thing that's always been a little kind of, you know, eh, to me. So, smart, I'd rather smart strike him man. out. Oh, as him. if you needed another reason to like Grayson Rodriguez, there's another one. Grayson, thank you so much for the time. An absolute delight. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you again soon, my friend. Yeah, thank you all for having me on. It was fun. And we're back here on a lengthy edition of Baseball Barbacast. We put the audio in your ears because Lord knows there's no other content to listen to. So it's got to be us. Jordan, before we say adios, goodbye, uh, sayonara, let's hit on a few quick moves that happened over the last few days and bid adieu to one Dexter Fowler. Yes, Dexter Fowler, uh, honestly, probably one of my early favorite players in the second uh, edition of Jordan, the baseball fan, right? Growing up, it was Sammy Sosa, obviously. I didn't care that much about baseball between the ages of like seven and 12. And then once I'm getting in, I'm way back in. I really like the Rockies for some reason. I loved Dexter Fowler so much when he was with the Rockies. Such a fun player, incredible on base ability, switch hitter, 
fun outfielder, awesome dude. Gave us a lot of just like really, really cool moments over his career with multiple different teams. And uh, and also, I I mean, would you say he's the first big leaguer we interviewed? I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. when we went on our first road trip uh, in, in 2014, first major league, uh, uh, you know, credentials in Houston 2014. Awesome guy. Wish him the best. Love Dexter Fowler. That great video of him losing his glove over the center field fence in Kansas City and then having to leap over it, get it and come back um, was hilarious. And then something that I didn't totally realize is that he did not start switch hitting until he was drafted, which is ludicrous to have that level of athleticism and coordination to learn how to hit left handed at age 18 is absurd. And uh Pretty normal splits. Like he was pretty much the same from both sides, which is which is absolutely wild. And yeah, like a 360 career on base, which is which is only more impressive now. <laughs> like, like he was he was a really, really, really fun player. So I'm sure he'll be on TV. I mean, he's he's like a layup yeah. till we'll be around the game for sure. Congrats to Dexter Fowler. We will see you on the Hall of Fame ballot in five years. <laughs> um who is not retiring is Zach Granke, who has decided to run it back with the Royals one more time. We all kind of thought he that this was last year was it, but why do you think he's coming back other than that it's fun to pitch and get paid for it? I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not fucking leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> it's I I'm I'm fascinated by this. I mean, I is he chasing any milestones? Like again, it felt like last year. I know he was hurt a little bit. We got to see him actually pitch in AAA when we were doing some broadcasting and for the Omaha Storm Chasers, that was cool. But like, I don't, I mean, he was, he was pretty good last year still, you know, made 26 starts. Like what is, what, again, it's, it's, it's still fun to pitch and get paid for it. And I'm sure obviously Zach Ranky loves baseball, but this is kind of odd. I mean, I love it, but it's odd. But what's great about it for me, right, is that when you have a pitcher like Zach Ranky at this point in their career, where they're still good enough to pitch in the major leagues at an advanced age with diminished stuff, typically they'll latch on to a World Series contender to try and chase the World Series ring that they don't have. And Zach Granke somehow does not have a World Series ring, okay? But he's like, fuck it. I want to be on the Royals, who are almost certainly not going to win the World Series. I just think it's an adorable, fascinating way for him to end what has been a no doubt Hall of Fame career. I love Zach Greinke. Lowest strikeout rate in baseball of all pitchers with at least 100 innings, 12.5% K rate, and uh, above average ERA because he is an absolute freak. We love you, Zach Greinke. I hope he I mean this. I think, yeah, I think if he wants to, he could definitely do another four years. Like, he's not going to get worse. <laughs> no, he, this you know? is it. This is it. He's throwing 87 miles an hour and it's still working. So, no, we we, we love Granky. Um, a weird little trade. We got the Red Sox trading Matt Barnes to the Marlins after DFAing him for Richard Blyer. The writing was kind of on the wall for Barnes after they signed Kenley. They signed uh, Chris Martin. Um, but... I like that the Marlins were like, oh, capital C closer. We don't have one of those. Come on down. Sure. Matt Barnes. I mean, he looked kind of cooked at times last year, but the Red Sox, I mean, he was, he was used a lot. Like they (laughs) ran him into the ground over the last few years. And so I think he's still pretty good. I think he's still a solid reliever and Blyer's just kind of a funky lefty that they don't really have right now. So um, yeah, I thought it was fine. Makes sense. 
Richard Blyer, two things stand out. Jordan, member of the tribe, will be pitching for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. And of course, oh, yeah. the the triple balk last year. <laughs> the triple balk, a, a major league record, of course. Uh, yeah, and they'll be bringing those those balking talents up to Boston. Uh, Blue Jays signed Chad Green. Uh, he just got TJ. He's really good. It'll be weird when he's pitching. And we, we, we will forget that he signed with the Blue Jays. And then he will come back in 2025 and we'll be like, whoa, Chad Green. Yo, remember that guy? He was on the Yankees forever. I hope he comes back with a beard just to like really confuse everybody, right? Because Chad Green with his big eyes, huge thighs and clean shaven face has been a staple of the Yankees over the last few years. And to see him, you know, go away for like a year and a half and come back with a big beard on the Blue Jays. I cannot Jays, picture him. He is, because he really has been, you know, one of the, one of the longer tenured Yankees. I cannot picture him at all with a beard. I can't even, I don't, this, that would be bizarre. So I, I totally agree with you. And then it's the last just been, one, which, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's just been, and that'll be Chapman's third walk of the inning and out comes Boone to bring in Green. Yeah, he was put in in like every possible situation. Like sometimes he would be coming in up five, down five, like highest leverage of the season. Like, all right, we're going to Chad Green. Like I, I could never totally figure out how much they believed in him. But like I always felt like he was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Chad Green. Uh, we'll we'll see you in a couple of years. Um, and then the last move, which is a transition to our final segment today, is that the Brewers signed Monty Harrison to a minor league contract. Monty Harrison. Wow. Wait, what a speaking of prospects. This is a good coming back to the start. Maybe something we should have hit on a little bit earlier is that when you look at the prospect list and you see the tool grades and you see, oh, this guy sounds so good. Oh my God. He just hit 25 homers in high A. He's going to be an all-star in no time. Well, the reality is most of these players are going to suck. And you don't know which one they, who's it going to (laughs) be, but sometimes it's Monty Harrison. He's going to be an all-star, no time. (laughs) So uh, that's prospects, but it made me think about that trade, Monty Harrison. Again, long ago, a second round pick by the Brewers ultimately shipped to the Marlins for Christian Yelich, and now he's he was with the Angels for a hot second. Now he's made his way back to Milwaukee. Will he will try to recapture his prospect magic of many years ago? But also in that trade, Jake was one Lewis Brinson, a similar profile to Monty Harrison, one whose physical abilities were so tantalizing for so many years, with Texas, with Milwaukee, with Miami, and now with the Yomiuri Giants. And to finish off this podcast today. We are going to say farewell to those who have left us this offseason and taken their talents overseas to the great baseball leagues of Asia, mainly the KBO and NPB. And we are going to uh, say goodbye to these players and wonder if we will ever see them again in MLB. So we got a, a pretty lengthy list here. We'll go quick, but these are some players that really evoke some real emotions. So I want to make sure we give them their, their respect. That's a great point, Jordan, because not every player gets a David Ortiz, Mariano Rivera goodbye tour. Okay. More players should, because like you said, these players live in our hearts, in our minds, in our memories, stuck in our teeth for generations to come. These are players that we will tell our grandchildren about if the, sh- the sun doesn't shrivel before that point. 
and they must receive a worthwhile adios. Especially because the players that tend to go overseas, you don't necessarily know when it's going to happen. And so when Frank Schwindel was finishing up his season in Chicago and he was a fan favorite, no one knew that he was going to be on the Oryx Buffaloes three months later. Now, some people might have seen, oh, it looks like you can see the kind of profile of a guy that makes sense to go overseas. And you can see sense the theme with some of these guys we're going to name. But to your point, right, we don't, we don't know when it's going to happen. At the same time, this is a very real and cool opportunity for these players to go get usually a guaranteed million bucks that they are not at all guaranteed to get in the major leagues where they would have to stick on the big league roster and stay and, and be X, Y, Z. So that's why this happens, right? They get this opportunity overseas. And oftentimes, we've seen it more and more lately, they can come back. And at the end of this conversation, we'll talk about how many we think will come back. But let's run through these. Lewis Brinson to the Yomiuri Giants. He was on the San Francisco Giants this past year. I believe he actually had a couple couple big games there this season. We're like, oh, is Brinson going to figure it out? He's going to Yomiuri. Um, I mean, again, electric defender. There, when it, when he gets a hold of one, it's it's a good time. But it uh, just hasn't been happening enough in, in the major league level. I hope it happens overseas in, in for Yomiuri Giants. Marwin Gonzalez to the Oryx Buffaloes. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez was the number one beneficiary, financial beneficiary, maybe other than Jim Crane, of the 2017 Astros can-banging jamboree. Go look at that baseball reference page and see how he turned just a little bit of cheating into what, like $35, $38 million? Yeah, um, I don't know if it was never- that much, but he he got a nice little nice little free agent deal with Minnesota that obviously... Did not go so well. Um, but, I mean, by, by all accounts, everyone liked him. You know, the Yankees brought him in still, even though he was, you know, cheater number one. And now he goes overseas to the Oryx Buffaloes. This is what I love about Marwin Gonzalez. That if the Yankees had signed Carlos Correa, Yankees fans would have been like, boo, cheater, no. But they signed Marwin, who was a worse cheater, never owned up to it, and was a worse player. He was right? terrible for the Yankees. <laughs> terrible for the Yankees. And, I mean, maybe uh, Yankees was met, but like no one really cared because he didn't play that much and he's not yeah. famous. And, you know, whereas Correa, if they had gotten Correa, like it would have been like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. No, it's a good point. It is a good point. All right. Next one. Mm. Aristides Aquino going to the Chunichi Dragons. And Jake, he gave us one of the great hot streaks in Major League Baseball history. Sure, the ball was juiced, of course, but. My God, I will never, I've said this before, but the MLB HR notifications for Aristides Aquino homering during that stretch in 2019 is, I, there will never be anything like it. it. I've never laughed harder than when I would just, whatever, eight days in a row or whatever it was, I got an Aquino homered again notification, a delightful personality, a fun player to watch. And I, boy, do I hope he just goes and hits 40 homers in Japan. MLB pitchers were like, oh, we can throw him a slider <laughs> off the plate. Oh, no. okay. Oh, that'll that'll do it. Uh, Williams Astadio. Oh, man. Speaking of fan favorites, he's going over to the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks. This is a fascinating one because, like, is he going to just, like, hit 400 over there with, like, four home runs? Like, I, I, this is not the profile I would expect to go overseas and yet I could see him having a ton of success. So I'm I'm just fascinated to see what kind of stats he puts up over there. I mean, one of the more unique players we've ever seen. And the SoftBank Hawks are one of the best perennially one of the best teams in that league. And so I would imagine they, they know, what, know they're doing. what they're doing. They know what they're doing. 
Uh, Frank Schwindel, we mentioned him earlier, also going to the Oryx Buffaloes with Marwin. I mean, Frank, he had a nice little run there in 21 where it was like, is he going to be the next late breakout? Well, apparently not. But by all accounts, awesome dude. Brian LaHare walked so that Frank Schwindel could also did, walk. Did Brian LaHare, but also like not walk very often. Not uh, walk Did Brian LaHare ever make it over to Japan? I feel like he, he must have. Um, this next one kind of breaks my heart. I got to be honest. Michael Franco. Heading to the Golden Eagles, Rakuten Golden Eagles. And Michael Franco, if we recall, um, was the player uh, after Gene Segura finally made the postseason with the most, I believe, the position player with the most career games to have never played in the postseason in MLB active. And that, I guess, will remain active. But I hope he goes to Japan. And now I'm just rooting for the Golden Eagles, which that's the team that um, uh, uh, Tanaka is still pitching for. Um, and yeah, I would love to see Fra- Franco in the Japan series. That'd be cool. <laughs> Get some postseason baseball in, uh, in his life. Um, Matt Davidson. I mean, this is just per. I mean, this is exactly who you would expect to be going over to Japan. If we're picking home run leaders in, in Japan 2023, I mean, Matt Davidson with the Hiroshima carp. I mean, that's, that's an absolute layup, right? I mean, he's, I hope he can do his earthing over there. That's, that's all I hope. Tyler Beatty from the San Francisco giants, uh, to the Yomi Yuri giants, just like our, uh, friend Lewis Brinson and Luis Perdomo to the Chibalote Marines, Yoan Lopez to the Yomi Yuri giants, JB Wendelkin to the, uh, to the Bay stars and Sheldon Noisy to the Hanshin Tigers. That is your NPB roundup. KBO, uh, there's really one, there's really two notable ones for KBO. You know, Sean Anderson, he's the guy that looks like a Hemsworth who threw at Mike Trout's head and everyone got really mad at him. He's on the Kia Tigers now. Guillermo Heredia going to the SSG Landers. I mean, such an important part of these Braves teams. And now he's going to go over there. And like, I can't even, he's just been such a bad hitter in MLB. Like, Obviously, a great defender, great base runner, but I'm curious, like, what kind of stats he's going to put up. The defending champion, SSG Landers. So remember when Freddie Freeman left, and everyone was like, "How's it going to affect the Braves clubhouse?" And it didn't at all. <laughs> now you can ask that question about Guillermo Heredia. That's oh, way yeah. more legitimate. Way more legitimate. And then the last one I want to mention is Eric Fetty, uh, former first round pick. Boris Client going over to the NC Dinos in KBO, and I want to mention him because. He is the one that I think of all of the guys I just named, although I'm curious your opinion, who I could totally see back in MLB a year from now. He could absolutely go and just carve Korean baseball and show that he's healthy. He can be a workhorse starter, put up more stats, more strikeouts. And even though he was maybe not that different than what he was in DC in 2022, he's still young enough where I think he's someone that could absolutely be back in MLB. There is a term being thrown around a lot, uh, especially by our friend Eric Langenhagen at Fangraphs, quote, developmental meat on the bone. <laughs> the idea that certain teams and college programs are worse at developing certain types of players. And so teams target them knowing that there's still some work to be done. No MLB team is worse at developing pitchers, the big league level, than the Washington Nationals over the last few years. Eric Fetty did not get the most out of his skill set while he was in D.C., another for a fact. Yeah. And so I am confident if the NC Dinos have good pitching dev that he can sort of unlock some stuff over yeah. Korea. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping that 
you know, the Dodgers would sign him or something like that. You know, I'm sure we were hoping that. But again, to get that guaranteed, to get that guaranteed money and guaranteed rotation spot, um, I'm sure he'll you know, just be pitching opening day for them or whatever. So, uh, so and awesome dude. I mean, also one of, one of the nicer guys we've we've met in baseball. And so definitely rooting for Fetty uh, in Korea. I need him to break out, Jordan, and mm-hmm. come back so that my story about the time I had dinner at a Turkish restaurant in London with Eric Fetty, Lucas Giolito, and Max Fried can really, you know, hit home all the way. Oh, hit more, hit even harder than it already does, is what you're saying? Yeah. 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 All right. Sick, humble brag, dude. All right. Uh, well, we're going to end it there. Thank you all for listening to uh, this episode of Baseball Barbercast. This was a fun episode. Thank you to Grayson Rodriguez for joining us. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, go show him some love. I know. Do you know what his dad calls him? You know what his dad calls him? Well, what what does his dad call him? Great son, Rodriguez. (laughs) Thank you. That that should have been the nickname you should have suggested earlier. Um, And then also, as he mentioned, it'll be on the the Birdland Caravan this weekend. So if you're in the Baltimore uh, area, maybe you could go go check it out there. Um, Toot toot. (laughs) Toot toot. Uh, but of course, you know, spring training coming up, go, go check Grayson out and, and, and the O's down in, in Sarasota. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, this, that's been the podcast. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing as always. And Hey, if you're hankering for some live baseball, Caribbean series starts today on ESPN plus Angelson Simmons and Jonathan scope are playing for Curacao. I learned that this Who's going to get vaccinated first? Turn, Who's tune gonna, in to find out. Yeah, an ultimate, ultimate challenge. I don't think that's as important for the Caribbean series, but still important for everybody. Jake Mintz, thank you for joining me. We will talk to you next week. Great son, Rodriguez. Serious XM Podcasts.